We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Stephanie Michko Beal, founder and CEO of Rare Air Leadership and an Emmy award-winning C-suite executive who thrives in the space between technology and business results. Recently, she was executive vice president and chief technology officer at Charter Communications. Stephanie is dedicated to raising the consciousness of leaders for a more sustainable, equitable, and prosperous future. A trailblazing technology executive who has achieved remarkable success in her field, a multiple Emmy Award and groundbreaking tech patent in her name, she's the epitome of leadership in the tech industry. Stephanie is a Renaissance woman who also enjoys glass mosaic art, woodworking, Tai Chi, golf, and motorcycles. She's married, has three adult children, and now an author. What I appreciate most about you, Stephanie, is your authenticity and transparency. You share your truth, and you are clear, honest, and kind. Welcome to ROG, Stephanie. Oh, Shannon, thank you so much for that introduction, and it's so nice to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. We've known each other for years. I actually did the math because you won Woman and Technology Award in 2013, so we're friends at least 10 years, and you've been a generous mentor for all of those years, so we're going to talk more about mentoring, but would love to get your perspective on how you see generosity at work. So I think generosity in corporate, in the workplace, in teams is about sharing your time, sharing your insights, and really helping others understand where you've been and how that can help them, help them grow, help them be more expansive in their own worlds. So um, that's what I think it is today. I've been extremely fortunate to be around very generous people uh, throughout my career. Excellent. And so like, do you have some early examples of people who gave you an opportunity? Because on ROG, we're specifically talking about exactly what you're saying, time, experience, opportunities, not so much financial giving, but, but caring about people, noticing. And as a mentor, you do that so naturally. I'm wondering you know, who did that for you early on in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. I've had so many people around me for a long time um, who've helped, but the people who stand out and you just said it, they're the people that make you feel good, make you feel like you belong. Before I started at Cablevision, which is many years ago, when I went um, to Cablevision to interview with someone, it was totally by mistake. Uh, A friend of mine said, hey, somebody's there. Um, They're doing this high-speed data thing with cable modems, and they need some help, and maybe you can help. And at that point, I was like, I don't know anything about cable modems or cable in general. But because in my own generosity, I always say to people, I will go talk to someone to see if I could even help. But when I went to this interview, the thing I took away from that was there's a woman there named Valerie Raffo, uh, who is an extraordinary person, uh, who was the EA for the person, the executive I was going to meet with. 
And when I went to this office, we, she just was so warm and inviting. She was talking to me. She was welcoming me. And what stuck in my head is she actually went over to a machine and made me a cappuccino. And it was the simple gesture of really, I mean, if you like, I like coffee, but you know, the simple gesture of offering you something like a coffee and talking to you while you're waiting to go meet with somebody you've never met before and you have no idea what's going to happen in that meeting really stuck with me. And I hate to say it, I love the job there and there were other reasons why I went, but I, I remember saying at the time, wow, that, I love that office. Like that woman is awesome. And, and she gave me cappuccino, you know, and, but the, the lesson there is she's been a confidant and friend of mine. She was my EA for 15 years at Cablevision. We are in touch to the, this day. Our children know each mm. other. Like we talk to each other a lot. We've be stayed really good friends. And I think the message there is those little acts of kindness and generosity along the way. It's not just that one person that stays in your life that flourishes and then kind of branches out. And, you know, you have people along the way, if you reciprocate, um, who just help you in places you don't necessarily even think they're going to be. Absolutely. I love that example. And I know you acknowledge Valerie in your book, which is beautiful. And I think like, like you're saying, just noticing the needs of others, like Valerie probably just wanted to make you feel comfortable and welcome. And she noticed you and that had such an awesome outcome. (laughs) So you went on to ultimately became the chief technology officer And now you're an author, right? So you write this book called Mind Skills. The subtitle is Unleash Your Potential to Lead in the Big Leagues. Before we dig into the details, Stephanie, what led you to write a book? Oh, that's a good question, Shannon. You know, and and you and I have been working in this space for a long time. And you just mentioned we know each other 10 years and we participate. I participate with you in a lot of the mentoring programs in the industry. And those programs are great and they really do help young women and young executives uh, get support in their career paths, but they're limited to the number of people that talk to individuals. So it's interesting how this book actually came to life. One of the reasons I wrote the book and I co-authored it with my, uh, the co-author is Linda Bjork. She's the founder of Mindfulness Intelligence, is that I wanted to work with another person because I'm really bad at writing to start with. But the goal is to really take those experiences and try to make them more available on a bigger platform. So the book is distributed widely, obviously, right? There's some interest now and people are very interested in how to be better human selves in order to be more successful in life and business. So the goal was to make sure that those stories that's more like the one I just told and many others are examples that people can read and go, oh yeah, I, I felt like that. I, I, I was in that situation. Oh, that I see what you did wrong and you call it out or I see your advice and that's how you should have done it. So it's a very raw and um, honest, authentic book. And <laughs> I, I think that putting the book out on a bigger platform with lots of great stories was just a, a fun and meaningful thing to do. And I'll just, before we talk about the book itself, the reason I co-authored it is because I was working with Linda with my own teams and doing some mindfulness training, right? Getting my senior executive teams when I was a CTO and executive vice president at a big company 
to really settle down in themselves so that they can make better decisions in the office. And we were working on this together. She did some seminars for me and spoke at, at some events. And then when I was leaving charter, we kind of said, why don't we take all of you know your knowledge about really biochemistry, if you will, what, what triggers people, why people think bad things, why some people can manifest things and some people can't. And then everything I know about actually being in those situations, like going through your career, all the good and the bad, and kind of putting that together in what I think is a needed and new way of thinking about leadership skills. Thank you for doing that. I'm grateful that the two of you decided to take action and actually do it. You know, many times we have conversations like those and they don't go anywhere. So I appreciate that the two of you did the hard work. I mean, writing a book is like, you know, giving birth literally to something (laughs) and you, it takes a lot of work as you know. Yeah. But it's a way to scale the impact that you're able to have in a one-on-one mentoring relationship with multiple people, like countless people who can have access to this book. And what I love about the way you structured it is that each chapter has like a story. You tell us about like a topic, even the titles themselves of each of the chapters, I think are really clever. And we'll look at a couple of those, but then you each tell stories about your lived experiences And then it goes into this, you call it mindfulness intelligence technique, where you give people like the research and the background. And to me, it just has your like engineering fingerprints all over it, where it's like, here's the problem and here's how we're going to solve it. Right. And, and I mean, I don't want to discount any material that's out there. There's a lot of great books about leadership and, and also about mindfulness, but I, 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 I don't see the information and I'm pretty black and white. And I think most people like do this thing, even if it's one thing, if you do this one thing over a short period of time, something will change and then you can build on that. So it's, I think this is a roadmap, if you will, in my technical terms, right? It's a story, you learn something yeah. and then you get the skills and the actual uh, information that you need mm-hmm. to make a change. Or a lot of the chapters, it's not really, it does, they don't say do this, but they make you think about things in a way that you might not have thought about them before. So something mm-hmm. that I think might be very obvious might be very hidden to another person. And they read it and they go, oh, wow, I never realized that. Some people have sent me feedback and said they got stuff out of this book that I was like, where was that? I didn't even see that in the book. Right. Because it's a very, your internal journey is a personal thing. So it's a, it's a really fun thing to put it out there. And you're right. Some of the chapters we deliberately were, um, a little of my Brooklyn comes out in the titles, right? (laughs) That's back to you being authentic. Um, so you talked about mindfulness and really how you and Linda got connected in the first place and you knowing that this was an important skill set, you practice Tai Chi, you meditate, can we sit there for a moment and like, why is that kind of self-care so important? Oh, yes. People might look at me and what you just described in your intro and go, look at that beautiful career path, right? You made it from here to here to here. Now you're writing a book and you're doing other things. And what I really um, like to emphasize to people is you really don't know what any other person has experienced or lived through or what they're feeling or dealing with in the moment you're speaking to them. 
So for me personally, um, really settling, and I, I actually talk about in the book, uh, part of my life where things are going really badly at surprise, surprise. And the point which I worked with somebody, um, a, a, medit- a meditation practice practitioner was also a psychologist who like called me out on my shit. And it was a wake up call. And that's, I mean, that story alone in, in the book, it's called owning your shit. You know, that's the name of the chapter. It really goes to, you have to take responsibility for what's going on in your own life. And the first time I heard that, I was very like, are you got to, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? It's my fault that so-and-so did this and it's, I'm part of this situation when this is happening, whatever. It's really turning that whole thought process on its head. And when you just take a moment to settle down, whether it's meditation or walking or yoga, whatever it is that you do, I do woodworking. That's like a meditation for me. You know, try sanding a piece of wood for three hours. You know, that's very meditative. But whatever you do, that process helps you settle down so that you can be alert and aware of what's actually happening around you and how you show up impacts those situations. And that's the, for me, and I was very lucky. No, I wasn't lucky that I had a lot of bad stuff going on in my life, but I was lucky to have somebody there who helped me see that, yeah, that's bad, but you, you're in control. In some way, you can say you're in control of how you respond, how you react. And that's really important at work, right? It's really important to be aware about how your teammates are feeling, what's going on, what's the energy around the, around the people that you work with. Because sometimes people act strangely and you're like, what's going on there? How often do leaders say, take that person to the side and say, you know, I saw you were a little agitated or your comment was a little off color. Is there something going on? with you, right? Maybe. And and that, to your point, that act of caring, that's the generosity of your time to just take a breath and say, are something going on? Like when you see someone's really stressed out, take a second and and do that for yourself. Super important because if you don't do it for yourself, it's difficult to do that with other people. But when you run a dynamic team of people, and I know this, all different personalities, uh, egos, they communicate differently. As a leader, you really have to know how to sit in that space and address each one of them in a way that makes sense for them. Because your job, it's your obligation to make them better or to help them achieve in order for the bigger goal to be achieved. Uh, that's so important. And and the way you're talking about how it starts with you, right? We have to work through our own stuff and our own situations and get our own support and help. And then that generosity of recognizing when others are not being their best or there's something off and bothering to ask and listen and give them, you know, the t- space and grace to, to be human if they choose to. Um, and I think a, a, another place that you talk about that in the book is chapter five, where you, it's called Big Hearted Boundaries. So I want to get your thoughts and share with our listeners about why boundaries are so important. Yeah. So I'm glad you asked that question because we've gotten, Linda and I have both gotten a lot of feedback from people who read that chapter and given us examples about how it changed, you know, the way they think of things. So, you know, to be a 
and, and I'll keep this in the realm of uh, leadership for business for a moment, but don't, I'm, this is not just about being in business. This is about being a human in any situation. But you don't have to be a pushover, if you will. You don't have to take everything on, right? You don't have to accommodate everyone to be an authentic, strong, admired, followed leader. So when we talk about in the book, Big Hearted Boundaries, this is about making sure that you're not crossing that line of, I want to be liked. I want to make sure people like me. I want to make sure they appreciate me. Like those are nice things, but there's a place in the world where you have to say, this is where, you know, what I need to do stops and where they need to go begins. And you have to be really conscious of whether you're crossing that line. So when we say big hearted boundaries, it means you still can be authentic. You still could actually and empathetically care about your teams but you, you have to understand where those boundaries are so you don't exhaust yourself, right? People without boundaries, and those of us who are parents, we know this. Children, as much as they fight us, they want boundaries. They feel safe with boundaries. They understand where they end and you begin because of boundaries, right? People love to understand what is expected. You know, Linda says all the time in, on this topic, she would say things like, you know, it's nice to tell people, What's okay? These things are okay to do. You have to be specific about what's not okay. It's not okay to do this, that, or the other thing. And that goes across the board. Like maybe it's not okay to interrupt a meeting at work and at home. Maybe it's not okay to like leave your coffee cups all over the, the dining room, you know, after dinner to your kids. But those are big hearted boundaries. It's not that you don't care. It's just, you need to be crystal clear about what's okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. That's a really important distinction for generous leaders, right? Because we want to be generous. We want to give, but to your point about not being a pushover and not giving to the point of where you don't have anything left in the tank to fuel your life. So I think sometimes like the generosity quiz on my website, you know, there's three outcomes and one of them is the go, go, go CEO. And that's where I've just given everything. And the person that I really need to prioritize is me, right? I need to fuel, refuel myself. So I just love that this book helps us to see that and understand it. And that, that goes back to like, what can I do something about Right, I might not be able to do something about the volume of requests coming my way, but I can do something about the number of them that I decide to take on, and and then how well I take care of myself. Exactly, and it, you know, and that's the way you become successful because getting buried in activity is the way not to be successful. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that actually leads us. We weren't, we weren't planning to go chapter by chapter, but I love the, the title of chapter six, which is planted, not buried. <laughs> it just says it all, but just, you know, what your, what are your reactions to that? There's so much in that. Yeah, chapter. there you go. You don't have to even read it. Just imagine what that means. And I'll just give the synopsis here. This, the whole idea of this, the stories in that chapter, the title planted, not buried. And there's a, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting way to talk about it as buried seeds. You know, the seed doesn't know it's buried in the darkness. It just knows it is, and it's going to become something in the future. But the idea there is 
you know, when you're in a place that you feel maybe powerless, maybe you feel like you're in a dark place, maybe you feel overwhelmed, this distinction between planted and buried is about your mindset in those moments, right? It's okay to everyone's in a dark place sometime, right? Everyone feels powerless in a situation and sometimes they just have to observe. Just look at what's going on in our world today as we're speaking, right? War and atrocity, right? You just have to observe it because it is. But the idea of that is that there's a way out, right? It's your, it's your mindset that gets you out of that dark place. And really all it's about is being, I guess, patient, Patience is, um, you know, kind of a, a thing you have to get comfortable with when you're uncomfortable. Get patient with that uncomfort. Observe it. Understand what it is. A lot, some people have given me feedback here who have been through um, medical trauma. You know, and, and they say like, wow, that I, I love this chapter because it makes me feel so seen when I was sick or when I had something going on. There's probably many examples, right, of, of lifetime events that people feel this way. The, the teaching in there or the mind skills in there are ways to deal with that so that you don't get buried, that you feel buried, but you actually grow. Right. Yeah. And you share a, a story in that chapter about your time in engineering school with early failures and how that really has shaped your attitude toward tech innovation, leadership. So would you mind sharing the highlights of that story? Yeah. <laughs> This is kind of a, you know, it's it's just a crazy story about failing. Really, I had a hard time. My early years of engineering, my dad's an engineer. I grew up in a family as the middle child with brothers. So there wasn't a lot of differentiation between what I would do as a woman and what my brothers did or what my dad did or what my mom did. Very progressive thinkers. But when I went to engineering school, I really felt like the outcast. Talk about being buried. It just wasn't the place to be when, when I was there. There was two women in the whole school, I think. And I didn't do well. I, 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 <laughs> in my very first class of electrical engineering, I failed the class because I made a stupid math mistake. And I'll leave that to the book because the story actually goes through how this happened. But, you know, coming out of that, I really had two choices, right? I could have said, now, these guys are all against me. It's too hard. I'm going to go do something else. Um, but I chose to do what my dad told me to do was, I won't say it on the podcast, but he used the F word. And he said, don't let anybody else determine what your path to happiness or fulfillment is. Just keep going. And even though I wanted to run away and go do something else, took a summer class, right? And so the failure of that event at the time was pretty traumatic but really the, what came out of that and talk about, you know, we'll go back to planted, not buried, um, was resilience, was acceptance. And it wasn't victim, you know, I wasn't a victim and I didn't have any disdain for those people. I just was lucky enough to understand that people have different perspectives, right? And then you have to manage yourself around them. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for that. Because also in that very chapter, an example, you talk about the sham of perfectionism, right? You talk about the prison of self-judgment and how self-kindness, self-compassion are, they're just so important for us to, to understand the necessity of them and how that frees us. So I just think there's so much uh, value in 
You, you, Shannon, you might have asked me this question in a talk we did a long time ago. And it's a very common question in these interviews, right? If you could say something to your, you know, your very much younger self, what would you say? And every time I answer that question, I say the same thing. I would say, thank you. Thank you for being who you were then, right? Because to your point, that situation that I talk about, if I didn't have that situation, I probably wouldn't be where I am today, right? There's a million paths to to the present. I think it's really important to embrace those things. You don't push them away. And the perfection thing, yeah, that's bad. It just, it kills us. And as we, we, we talk about this sometimes too, that women tend to do this more than men, where we want to make sure we know everything before we step up to say we're going to do something. And the men, the male uh, archetype says, oh, I know 50%, I could do it. And they go and they move. It doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. And even the people you look at and think are perfect and admire, they're not. They have just as much shit as we do, as everyone does. Right? <laughs> and I think to channel the advice from your dad, which is, you know, don't let anyone tell you how to find your joy and what you find fulfilling. If you find this fulfilling, like find a way, right? Be resourceful. And no, I believe in you. I think that's also really an important thing for people to hear from someone else is that someone believes in you. And so I think you as a mentor, you've done that for years for, for these leaders where you, you and your own direct report, and I'm sure your own friends and family, you've done it for me. It's like just telling people, like, I see you, I believe in you, I'm going to help you. You know, and we're, we're going to do this together. So come on, let's go. Because right? sometimes what you need is somebody to just prop you back up again and get you back on your feet. I want to ask you one more question specific to a chapter, and then I want to talk about more about leadership in general. So chapter seven, no surprise to you, I love. It's titled Grateful and Compensated. <laughs> and you, you also share some research around the benefits of gratitude, which I just ate this up. Um, and I'm not going to share this all because I want everyone to buy your book and uh, enjoy this themselves. But you know, you talk about why it's so important for us to be grateful. You give us research, you give us examples. So let, let's talk gratitude for a moment. Yeah. You know, I, I, when we talk about this, when Linda and I were talking about this particular chapter, what, what came up as we were kind of strategizing about compensation, compensation is an important thing, right? In the world. People think about it when they get jobs. And what, what we talked about is I personally... I've never really thought about compensation. This drives my husband crazy. Uh, I'm just like, I, it's not front and center for me. And I do share some stories where I'll, I'll go back to saying, you know, the, the way you get to be grateful in the future is to say, how can I help you in the present? Right? So for me, being grateful is I am grateful for the opportunity to talk to interesting people. I am grateful to be introduced to situations that scare the crap out of me, right? Because I'm curious and I like to be in those situations. But what comes back from gratefulness is really fascinating because when you're grateful for where you are, that feeling of gratefulness, that feeling of joy, it creates what comes next. And just like I said, the, the woman, Valerie, who served me a cappuccino, like started my career in cable, Saying, how can I help you, was the one phrase that got me to be a CTO. 
because I went and talked to people and they were having some problems. And I'm like, oh, how can I help you with this? And I gave them my knowledge and my time with nothing expected in return. I mean, literally nothing. It was, I know a lot of people and they ask you for help and you go, oh, of course I'm going to help you. Right. That's what we do. And it was that action of being generous and grateful to even be in the situation that, that literally turned around and turned into position, compensation, leadership, right? Goals. And, and I think, I think a lot of people have that upside down. And, and I think there's a, in the book, there's a couple of great examples and I'm sure readers will say, yeah, I did that. And you go, don't do that. Right. Look at the bigger picture because compensation is important and getting, um, paid and compensated appropriately for your skills, knowing what you deserve and what you're worth. Those are all tactics. They're all in there. We talk about those, but the real beauty of compensation and being grateful is saying, how can I help with nothing, with, without expecting anything and then getting more than you could ever have expected. Absolutely. And is there a practical application that you leverage? Is there a daily habit or a practice that, that you use to help you to stay grateful? You know, if I told you everything I've been through in my life, I'm grateful to wake up every morning. I mean, I am literally grateful to wake up and take a breath and drink coffee with my husband and talk to my kids. And I'm grateful to run around and get on trains and go to offices and work. Um, Meditation is my thing. That's what I do. I spend time in the mornings and I spend time in the evenings just uh, doing what I call meditation. Whether what I do is what other people do, it's a very personal thing. But I do find... um, settling a couple of times a day. It's also joy. Great. I'm, I'm grateful for so many things and I'm so fortunate. I mean, you know, sometimes you wake up, you want to pinch yourself, right? And if you're, this is the other thing about buried. Too many people are too narrow minded or too narrow focused. Their lens is too narrow to what's going on in their own world, what's going on in our own state, what's going on in our own country. But if you take a broader view I don't like the news because it's very depressing. But when you look at those things outside of your little world of things that bother you every day, how could you not be grateful? The worst, the worst day we have is the best day for a lot of people. So I think it's really important to keep it in perspective because there, there's a lot to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a mind skill. And, and the point you make in the book is about how it's not just making you feel good. It actually is good for you, right? There's scientific research to back that up, that it, it improves your health, it improves your relationships, your psychology, your resilience, your perspective, the list goes on and on. So a major theme that you question here in this book is that why leaders and managers keep doing things that clearly don't work. So curious to get your thoughts. What do you think the issue is? Yeah, that's such a great question. So yeah, we kind of say stop doing what doesn't work, right? You know, like the issue is people are stuck. They're stuck in a lot of business environments. And now I'm in, I've been in big business. There's probably deeper processes, let's say, or ways of working. And I think people get stuck in doing things, activity, and they mistake activity for progress. Why do people keep saying, I can't get here, right? 
And you say, well, what, how, what are you doing to get there? And they keep saying, well, I do this or I do that. And I'm like, okay, well, you're clearly not getting there. I mean, this is like behavior 101, right? Stop doing what doesn't work and expect a different result. Um, stop doing the same thing. So I think people just get stuck. And what's really difficult, and this is the mind skill here about getting um, stop doing what doesn't work, is first to stop, stop doing <laughs> Stop acting. Stop making um, busyness be the focus, right? And see what's really going on. So if you don't stop and give yourself airtime, if you will, to think and feel what's happening and why you're doing it, then you you it's the hamster wheel analogy, right? You have to stop. So step off, take a breath. So we use the three terms: stop, unleash, lead, right? Stop what you're doing. Stop the activity, take a breath, rethink it, then unleash your power to move in a different direction and lead others to come along. So that's kind of a very simple stop, unleash, lead. You can't move forward unless you stop. You can't see where you are unless you stop. So take that moment, whether like if that's what you do at work or at home or when you're meditating, like I said, ride a bike, go to the gym. But use that time to get that activity out of your head, settle into yourself, think about what you're doing and and think about it with an open mind without attachment because people love what they're doing. Like, I'm really busy. Someone told me the other day, I'm I'm really busy. Look at my phone calendar and it's like red the whole day. I'm like, ooh, that sounds really bad. Not just for you, but for whoever you're trying to lead through those meetings. That's bad. So that's the idea of stopping, stop doing what doesn't work. You have to stop. And stopping is hard because there's a lot of um, inertia in the busyness of work. There's a lot of inertia there. So it takes a lot of your energy to stop. Definitely. Yeah. And that's another thing that I appreciate in this book is that you talk about the difference between energy management versus time management. And, and you, you use the term future orchestrator. Um, yeah. So just unlike time, energy is something that you could be more strategic about, thoughtful about. So it requires that you have those pauses, right? Yeah. You need to manage your energy, not be tied to the clock, right? All the time. And if you do that, I guarantee that every one hour meeting you have on your calendar you can achieve and, and exceed the expected results of that meeting if you go in there with focused energy, with present moment awareness, and do whatever you need to do in 10 minutes as opposed to 60 minutes. And then yeah. everyone has you know a, a half an hour to go take a glass of water and relax. <laughs> so for people that hear that and go, well, that sounds lovely, but that's just not realistic, Stephanie. What can people do to be more... Um, energetic or bringing their 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 full energy to a meeting instead of just being like in a relay race. Yeah, it's funny. It's great that you say that because people do people do say that they say, "What do you mean? I'm too busy. Why can't I have to?" Ah, la, 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 la. I did too, but there's a simple tactic that that I think everyone can do, and it's not going to impair your face time with your boss or your visibility at your company or your ability to achieve what you need to achieve. Take a percentage of your calendar and be diligent about blocking some time. I do this every day 
even as we speak today, I do it. (laughs) I put time on my calendar. That's a block that says desk time or thinking time or reflective time. And it could be, I I like the number 20 because I'm an 80-20 believer. Uh, I like 20% of your calendar time to be dedicated to just that. Maybe it's reading. Maybe you want to actually read the report that someone sent you for the next meeting that you have to go to, right? And spend some time thinking about it or collecting your thoughts so that you can show up with the proper energy, knowing that you at least have information that you might need or not, and go to and be productive, right? Bring something there that's productive. I think everyone can do that. Um, I think people are starting to talk about that, actually. I've seen companies uh, come out and make statements about no meetings or reduce the number of meetings and things like that. But therein lies another one of those, how do you stop, right? If your day is very much determined by you wake up, you look at your calendar, I have to talk to this person, and then you get into an auto, like almost like an autopilot mode or just going, going to going, it's hard to stop. So simple tactic, block the time and then honor it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Then go back to that other chapter about boundaries because you're going to need them. You're going to need to honor it yourself because you might say, oh, that's just time for me. So I'll give it to you. And it's like, no, you block that for a reason, honor that. And I think try it, right? Try it for a month and see how different you feel, right? So just take Stephanie's word on this one. All right, so I want to recap a couple of the things that we've talked about and give our listeners some takeaway tips. And then I'd love to get your ad on there. So one of the things I have here is to establish clear boundaries, right? To understand like, when is it not okay? How do I establish clear boundaries? And maybe a way to get there is to think about what's something that I'm tolerating, like I'm putting up with and create a boundary around that. Um, Stop doing, stop acting and see what's going on. So that stop, that that very clear call to action here. And like that stop, unleash, lead, love that. Um, and then the 20% uh, blocking off or whatever percent you, you left it open to the listeners to decide what percentage they feel comfortable with, but have a percentage of time that you just block off. And then another key takeaway that I have in my notes here is that key question, how can I help? Like seek opportunities to be helpful and of service and ask that key question. I mean, for you, like you tell you say, like, this is what led to me being the CTO, right? But like for, for us to just look for opportunities to be of service, is there anything else that you would add to that, Stephanie? Oh my gosh, there's so much there, but um, I think those are, that's an awesome list you have. And if people take those away from this conversation, that would be really, really beautiful. If you don't or feel that you can't, because some jobs don't allow you to block your calendar. You know, if you're in the ER, not helping, right? If you're driving a truck or, you know, doing some outside construction, you can't stop. If you're, you know, maybe uh, in in a public facing environment, you probably can't do that. So I would just add in those cases, carve yourself 10 minutes in the morning before you start and 10 minutes, whether it's on your way home or when you get home, to settle down. Or if you're working at home, how many people are working at home? They shut their computer off and then they walk out the door and now they're in your kitchen with your family. It's a hard transition. Put a little boundary there. Five minutes. Shut your computer off. Take a couple of deep breaths. Enjoy just being 
and then bring your energy and joy to the next situation that you're going to be in. That's that's so beautiful. So there'll be loads of links in the show notes, but for people listening to this auditory only, how can they find your book? How can they find out more about you? Sure. So the, the book is available on Amazon everywhere. Mind Skills, Unleash Your Potential to Lead in the Big Leagues. Um, we have uh, some write-ups about the book and about Linda and myself on mindskillsthebook.com. And, uh, you know, where I'm available, like our LinkedIn profiles are out there. A lot of it is about the book. We are also um, talking online a bit about different parts of the book in little snippets to get to give to get this information out there, even if you don't want to sit and, and read the whole book. And then my my last little bit of advice, if you happen to buy the book, that would be awesome. And I would we would appreciate it immensely. But share the information, right? Pick a chapter. There's a lot of information in this book. And Shannon, you did a great job of just like, I think we talked about five chapters. There's, you know, 14 chapters in the book. Um, pick one, read it, think about it, um, and then put it, up, put it away and figure out if there's another time uh, that you might want to look at the other information. I hope the information is useful and timeless, meaning if you read it, Next week, you might be in a situation that it applies. If you read it a year from now, it might be in a situation that applies. Yes. Oh, well, thank you for making the time to write this and give us this resource for being on the podcast and most importantly, for being my friend all these years. I'm so grateful for you, Stephanie. I am grateful for you too, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.